And we're back. Finally, episode 20-something of the podcast. It's It's been a few weeks, Kelsey, but, uh, you know, I, I know last week we had planned to record and Mother Nature had other plans as Owen's power was knocked out. Ours was flickering here at Ann's house. I don't know if you guys were dealing with any sort of power issues, but uh, glad to be back. We've got a great show in store. Um, let's not bury the lead, though. Uh, we are down a, a show member as uh, Owen has decided to step away from the podcast. The school year is beginning, and, and as we talked about during his episode, um, he is an athletic trainer at Concordia University, Chicago, and um, you know the, the school year is is when he goes to work and when that schedule gets. Uh, gets crazy for him. So, you know, we don't get paid to do this. This is a labor of love for us and uh, a hobby. And so, you know, he decided to to step away. But uh, we definitely thank him for his time on the podcast and, uh, you know, wish him the best this upcoming school year. I, I can't imagine having those those work hours and that variable schedule. I, I used to, Kelsey, when I was, you know, in radio and, um, you know, I, I told people that, look, sports happen on nights and weekends and, you know, whether it was going to be radio uh, yeah, producing or play by play or whatever I was going to do in the business, you know, I was going to have to sort of adapt to the schedule at hand and just kind of go with the flow. So, at, you know, at, at athletic training is, is much the same way. Yeah, you're giving him a lot more credit than I am because <laughs> I'm kind of like, oh, bro. <laughs> but also I kind of told him like, oh, thank God our uh, attempts to get rid of you finally succeeded. So, you know, it's all all in love. Of yeah, course. of course. Of course. Well, I, I know you have this week in history. Yes, um, I do. Uh, so why in don't homage you in to... homage? That's right. Yes, is, because... that, is that word French, by the way? I'm assuming it is. Yeah, my assumption is it is. Where's oh our gosh. researcher to find <laughs> these things out? God damn it. Like two two minutes into this show and we already have a question. <laughs> we literally just took a couple minutes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Today is the 17th. This is, is the day we're recording. Um, uh, August 17th, 1969. Any guesses? 1969. It's very space racy. Or is it Woodstock? It is Woodstock. Yeah. I alluded to that earlier. Did I should have realized it. Uh, the Woodstock Festival ended. Though notable acts such as Janis Joplin, Joe Cocker, Joan Baez, CCR, Grateful Dead, Jefferson Airplane, Sly and the Family Stone, etc., etc., uh, the most memorable moment of the concert for many fans was the closing performance by Jimi Hendrix. Jimi Hendrix. I am on and fire. Rocking solo guitar performance of the national anthem the star spangled banner well done <laughs> no you're correct well done okay Thank you. august 18th 1920 any guesses women's right to vote oh <gasps> did you look ahead no not at all <laughs> okay the 19th <laughs> amendment was ratified thanks to a single vote Wow. By March 1920, just one more state was needed to ratify the 19th Amendment in order for it to become law. Do you know what that state was? Connecticut? Eh, Tennessee. Ah, General Assembly okay. took up the question in August, and suffragists and anti-suffragists bore down on Nashville. After decades of struggle and protests by suffragettes across the country, the decisive vote was cast by a 24-year-old representative who reputedly changed his vote after receiving a note from his mother. 
This is all from history.com. Kind of, kind of funny. Entirely um, stolen, like almost word for word. If I remember from um, American history class in high school, um, Elizabeth Cady Stanton was a suffragist, right? Correct. Yes. One of the one of the country's first feminists uh, considered by many. I, I knew a girl from um, church stuff in high school whose name was Katie, but it was spelled C-A-D-Y after Elizabeth Katie Stanton. That's fascinating. I didn't realize that. I remember Useless trivia that you will never use again. Yeah. And I literally just thought of that. But anyways, I our whole f- our whole week in history is useless trivia. But but before we move away from the 19th Amendment, I want this to be important uh, little side note. Despite the ratification of the amendment, amendment and the decades long contributions of black women to achieve suffrage, poll taxes, local laws and other restrictions continued to black women and men of color from voting. And of course, I just think that's an important note to have. Um, We talk about equality and we talk about a lot in women's rights when it comes to that and want to make sure that we're being fair to all women. And there's been a lot of debate about some of the laws that have been passed just within the last few months. Yeah. Um, yes. This Georgia, was 1920 yeah, that we're talking and, about. And, and, and that 100 years later, years we're, ago. Yeah, yeah, we're still dealing with this shit. So, mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, you know, uh, yeah, I, I don't want to go down that rabbit hole, but it's a shame. It's important to note. Okay. August 19th, 1909. August 19th, 1909. You might have stumped me on this one. I can't think of anything reputable or notable that happened in 1909. It's sporty. Okay. I'm using air quotes for our listeners who can't see. (laughs) It's got to be, it's got to be baseball related. Incorrect. Really? It's sporty. Yeah. I I don't know. Now I'm driving. Okay. The first race is held at the Indianapolis motor Speedway. Oh, okay. Home of the Indianapolis 500. All right. Um, the Speedway was originally started by local businessmen as a testing facility for Indiana's growing, automobile industry okay the idea was that the occasional races at the track would pit cars from different manufacturers against each other after seeing what these cars could do spectators would presumably head down to the showroom of their choice to get a closer look well that's that's still sort of the case you know in the different divisions of auto racing right you have your different manufacturers um and you know they I, see, I, I don't. Fo- I, I used thought to of follow, it that way, but I guess you're right. I used to yeah. follow NASCAR, you know, kind of close in in high school. Um, I would I would watch races and and sort of be into it. And I had my favorite driver. Really? But yeah. I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah, Jeff Gordon was oh. my favorite driver. He was on a lot of Wheaties boxes. I feel like was he? I, I don't remember that. Yeah. But uh, well, he's on a lot of cereal boxes. Maybe it wasn't Wheaties. He he drove he, the number twenty four car. Which my favorite number is twenty one, so I don't know how I Hold didn't on. gravitate Let's to Tony the Tiger. They're great. <laughs> I feel like there was a commercial with Jeff Gordon and Tony the Tiger. There probably was. Flakes? Yeah, um, we're gonna find that. Yeah, okay, sure. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Gordon was my favorite driver. Um, I don't know for whatever reason, maybe I just tuned into an NASCAR race one day and he won that day, so I was like, okay, I'll follow that guy. Um, but I, nice. he's a, he's a legend within NASCAR, but anyways, um, yeah, it's, it's, they, they still have the Fords, the Chevys, you know, an F1, it's the Ferraris, it's the, you know, what, whatever. I, yeah, I don't, I don't follow sense. racing that closely, but, uh, it's still sort of that way, I guess. Hmm. Okay. August 20th, 1619. It's a little heavy. <laughs> August 20th, 1619. It's 
Shakespeare died? No. No, but but not far off. Romeo uh, and Juliet? First, uh, first enslaved Africans arrive in Jamestown, setting the stage for slavery in North America. How was I not that far off? Years, year Oh, wise. year wise. Okay, no, not topical. <laughs> I was no, like, no, wait no, a minute, no. what does that have no, to do with no, Shakespeare? No, no. no, I'm just saying, like, you weren't completely out of the realm of okay. possibility okay. in saying okay. 1619. That makes yeah, sense. No, yeah. Not awful. That, make, that makes sense. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, and then let me see. It's 20 and odd. That's in quotes. Angolans kidnapped by the Portuguese arrive in the British colony of Virginia and are bought by English colonists. The arrival of the enslaved Africans in the New World marks the beginning of two and a half centuries of slavery in North America. And to lighten the mood a little bit, August 21st, year not to be named because I value my life, friend of the podcast, sister of the co-host, Lauren Barch-Gallucci was born. Oh, happy August birthday, Lauren, coming big up. Big day. Yeah. Big day for us. So that'd be what, Saturday, Sunday? Saturday. Oh, Saturday, okay. And because this is today in history, and it's usually you know longer ago history than our own personal history, August 21st, 1754, turns out my sister shares a birthday with Bloody Ban Tarleton, who became the most feared officer in the British Army during the War for American Independence, memorialized in the 2000 film The Patriot. Correct. As the basis for character Colonel William Tavington. I love that movie. Such a good movie. Oh, I, so good. I actually watched it in full um, like while working. So like semi watched it. But for the first time in a, quite a while, and I think it's on Netflix, and it popped up and was like, a movie you like. And I was like, yes, I do <laughs> like this movie. And um, I, I feel like it's, uh, I don't know, it feels kind of timeless to me, even though it's 21 years old. Um, and there are still parts of it where I just cry um, or at the very least get emotional. Um, and I think it's a good one. I really, I really enjoy it. Yeah, it's one of those where you know, if I happen to come across it on TV, it's it's one of those where I can watch it from any point. It, it's a long movie, but mm -hmm. it is is such a good movie. And like, I love American history, and and the American Revolution was the like the original thing that grabbed my interest when talking about American history. Do you know who my American Girl doll was? No. It was Felicity Merriman, and she and her father owned like a trading store right before the American Revolution. Oh, okay. Yeah. You're welcome for that lovely <laughs> knowledge. Personal knowledge. I found out you used to like racing, and you find out that I had the American Revolution, American Girl now. Yeah. Speaking of racing, I'm going to segue here because I did not go into August 22nd because that was too far ahead. Okay. But the Arlington Million was Saturday. It was, except not called the Arlington Million. Oh, well, are we <laughs> going to be petty here? So we're going to do <laughs> Million Day was on Saturday. Uh, the three stakes were the Mr. D stakes, which previously had been called the Million, but is no longer a million dollar purse. And so therefore really shouldn't have been called the Million. Um, the Beverly D stakes, which of course has been in place for many years mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. the Bruce D, which has been around for a couple of years. Those were the three main 
right? It when did replaced it change the Secretariat. Over, when, yeah, when, when did it change over from the Secretariat? So the Brewsty has been offered for several years, but so has the Secretariat. Brewsty was sort of like fourth in the totem pole. Okay. And what they did this year was they kind of bumped the naming Secretariat and just replaced it with Brewsty. Um, well, and so the, I think the, to have the three of them all kind of commemorated yeah yeah and uh you know it's it's been well documented on this podcast that it's the final year of arlington park as we know it Correct. um still to be determined what's going to happen um you know with the future but um you know it's it was a little bittersweet not to be there for the last million day i, I did go to the otb on saturday and mm -hmm. sat with kevin and bob and 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 the mm -hmm. boys um you know, it's bless it's, you. <laughs> um, you couldn't you could not have paid me to sit at that table. <laughs> the jokes were flowing from one. Steve I Hennigan. Um, you know, it was um, a little bit. Uh, it was bittersweet for sure. You know, it, mm -hmm. uh, obviously, you know, the the last time we have a an Arlington Million Day. And, you know, it was always one of my favorite days working at the racetrack because it was the best racing, racing. we saw all year. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Right. I, I remember different you know, crowd different crowd um different uh priorities different, as customer yes. service right yeah different yeah. priorities getting mm -hmm. to mingle with some of the um you know prominent horse owners and trainers um you creating know. a truly spectacular product instead of a mass product i think is a big difference like from my end having been a manager and having been part of um working with different not even horse people but like presenters and things like that and and a lot of that was just very different the, the spotlight was on arlington park that mm -hmm. second saturday in august for years and years and years and um 2005 was my first million i think it was still broadcast on espn um yeah. and as the years went on you know it got to be lesser of a thing from a national perspective as um, you know, I, I don't know if it's a reflection of horse racing as a whole, but, um, you know, it was it was Arlington's time to shine. And, you know, the, the Arlington Million is such a prestigious race and the, the turf course at Arlington is so well thought of. And, and for as long as I can remember, we've had European horses and, and European jockeys coming to Chicago just for the Arlington Million and, and these three races. So, um, you know, it was it was it was our day. You know, it's the it's the only grade one racing in Illinois. Um, all three somehow retained their grade one status, um, even though it, mm. I think that was probably just a favor to Arlington Park mm. from uh, uh, whatever governor, governing body decides. Because um, my grade face these... isn't <laughs> visible to our <laughs> listeners. Mm. Well, and I'm, I'm actually not looking at the video right now anyway, but I can imagine. Um, you know, it was um, I was hoping for some bigger fields in those races, um, although the favorite in the million did lose. So people got paid. Well, let's talk about let's talk about the Mr. D stakes. Mm, oh yeah, sorry, yeah, the, not the million, the Mr. D stakes. Yeah, uh, domestic brain. spending in Chad Brown, who has dominated Million Day for a while Ooh. now. Um, he had all three winners, and was it twenty seven? No, I think it was nineteen. I think it was nineteen. Eighteen or nineteen. Mm, he had. I was he had there the for it. I think three. it was seventeen. Okay. I think well, I was real pregnant. Sure. Because um, I left in eighteen before the million. Oh, so okay, I think it was sense. 17. Yeah. So, I mean, but he's dominated these races for a yep. while now. And um, domestic spending, the big favorite, I think six to five in the morning line, um, two Emmys and a jockey who's very familiar with the Arlington turf course. Yep. James Graham steals it on the front end. And uh, I, I had the exact backwards. I had two Emmys in seconds in uh, the exact you didn't uh, box it. 
Well, so I, I play part wheels when I play exactas. I rarely play an exacta uh, box anymore because I like including more horses in that yeah, bet. Yeah, sure. Sure. Um, so I I had two Emmys in second, did not have him on top. I think Armory was the one I paired with domestic spending on top of my exacta ticket. So uh, missed that one. I, I hit the, the other two races, though. So um, I, I know Kevin had two Emmys, didn't he? Shout or, out uh, to Kevin. Yeah. Who's very hit. favorite trainer in the world one. Hugh Robertson. Did yes. you hear his uh, interview? I did not. Was it good? We We chuckled when he made a comment about how he finally won a million and it wasn't worth a million dollars. Poor guy. <laughs> <laughs> Do you recall, because at some point we'll get Owen back on here and we'll talk about the people who have, you know, wowed us at Arlington and he'll tell his coach Q story <laughs> um, and we'll laugh at him for it. But um, I remember the first time that I really realized who he Robertson was as mm -hmm. he was walking through the gate and he's like a very, normal guy I, I couldn't pick was, him out of a crowd exactly right and he came through and i think i actually scanned his his id card and that's how right. I knew who he was and i i told him wow you know you're my you're my boyfriend's favorite trainer and he looked at me like i was either crazy <laughs> or a, maybe a bug or slightly psycho yeah and then he kind of like <laughs> shrugged and like kind of said thank you but not really like it was a very <laughs> Very weird. I think he was. I think he was put off by being recognized. Well, yeah, and that's that's kind of the thing. I think about, he was like. Mm. That's kind of the thing about horse racing, because unless you're a jockey and you know four foot seven and a hundred sure. pounds, mm -hmm. anybody like my dad, my yeah. uncle can own. It's, it's an everyman kind of kind of sport, yeah. you know. Yeah. Even the most famous, I mean, it's really hard to be visually known, even around a racetrack, especially Arlington. Is, very few people, yeah. like very few trainers are recognizable to the public. Bob mm -hmm. Baffert mm -hmm. for winning and also his controversy. Mm -hmm. Todd Pletcher. Mm -hmm. Chad Brown. And I think you're being generous. Like I mean, yeah, and I'm, I'm a horse racing person. We're racing, racing right, people. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. So, I mean, frankly... Like if you're going to see LeBron James walking around, yeah. everyone knows who that is. Even people who have never seen a game and don't, you know, I mean, like if people like that even exist at this point, I think my parents are them, but, <laughs> um, you know, there's just, a, I think we're being even generous by saying that. I think Bob Baffert might be the only person who might be facially recognizable. And I do think it's mostly scandal driven at this point. Yeah. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I was a senior in college and I was, um, I had a class with um, the guy who taught it was the former media relations director at Indiana during Bobby Knight's tenure. And you can imagine what mm -hmm. that's like. Um, mm -hmm. I was in his office one day for, I don't know, I, I think I was turning in a project or something. And he had a horse racing picture on the wall. And I was, I was like, I was like, oh, that's interesting. Because I think it was at Churchill. Bloomington's not far from Churchill Downs. Um, and he's like, yeah, do you sure. know who that trainer is? I'm like, yeah, it's Dean Wayne, D Wayne Lucas. He's like, yeah, how did I'm like, it's okay. I'm a horse racing guy. <laughs> <laughs> you impressed him. Didn't you? I, I, I guess, I guess. <laughs> um, so, um, you have big personal news to share. I do. Yes, yeah. I do. I got a new job. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, I left what I considered to be a not great situation. Um, I've shared on this podcast before that my um, company was acquired and 
between that and COVID, um, our staffing levels just tanked. Um, and there was just a, a real rough road for the last year or so. Um, so I started looking and found um, a new job at a very small company, which is more my speed, I think. Um, and in the interviews, it was funny, some of the sales guys kept asking, they were like, very concerned. And one of them kind of just came right out and said it and was like, you know, you keep talking about your team of people and people who work for you and you manage these people. And, you know, you're not going to, you actually have to, to do the work. And I'm just nervous that like some people in management just get really used to delegating. And I was like, yeah, no, I'm thrilled to not have a team. <laughs> <laughs> I have too much responsibility. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Please, for the love of God, take away my management. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and truthfully, like I I'm joking about it, but at, at this point in my life, it became a lot. It's just been, um, I've got the kids at home. Yep. Um, you got a lot on your plate, Kevin, who is uh, very high maintenance requires lots of management on a personal. It's okay. He doesn't listen to this podcast, so <laughs> it's fine. He'll never hear it. <laughs> um, and, and it was just like a, a very stressful situation to be then also working with, with people at work. And so, um, I'm a week and a half into my new job and, um, I don't have anyone reporting to me. Um, I'm learning a ton cause it's kind of tech related and I don't have a tech background. Um, so they've entrusted me with a product that is um, a field I know very little about. Um, and it's exciting and a challenge and hopefully it stays that way. Um, but for now I'm just kind of enjoying the end of summer mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. um, not being the person kind of who's the point person on everything. What That's is great. there in the office situation? Because I'm, I, I, I'm assuming it's local, right? Uh, yep, Itasca. Oh, um, yeah, that's right. I, I knew that. Yeah, and um, there's some there's some discussions about a hybrid model. Um, the sort of co-owner of the company, when he was interviewing me, said that in the industry, they, they like to be a leader, but in this case, they're happy to be a follower. Um, and really be more cautious. And the office is open to those who would like to be there. Um, currently, I'm working from home because the hardware setup is pretty advanced and they don't have the resources to have me set up in two different places. Right. Um, and due to the fact that they're not certain when like back in the office is going to be full time, I'm set up at home. Um, and so for the foreseeable future, like I don't mind not commuting in winter. That's oh, I'm yeah, doing. absolutely. Um, or only going like a couple days in winter. Um, so we'll just we'll just continue on that road. Um, but I think ultimately they're looking for like a hybrid. Um, there are some people who work in the office every day as part of the essential core of the business, uh, manufacturing and fixing and shipping and doing some of that. So those folks are there um, keeping the business alive, which was similar to my last job. Um, and we were very grateful that those people kind of took in what we weren't sure how risky it was, um, but they took some risks to keep our doors open. And that was, we were very grateful for that. Same situation here. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's a, it's a small company. It's like 35 people. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, yeah, it's small. that is small. That is yeah, small. Yeah, it's not, it's, <laughs> it's small. <laughs> it, it sounds like you're, you're in the office situation, a hybrid model offices open if people want to go it sounds very similar to you know what I've been dealing with mm -hmm. um, or since April I've, I've been primarily in the office I mm -hmm. can work from home but I'm definitely not full strength when I work yeah. when I work from home and you, but you bring up a good point like commuting in winter if it's if I wake up and it's snowing 
might yep. not go into the office that day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry, boss. I mean, that's a reality that I think a lot of workplaces, it's been a benefit of, of COVID of like, you don't have to worry about that. Mm -hmm. And you can offer a flexibility that wasn't offerable before because the tech can support it in some ways. Um, but I think there are just so many challenges with all of it as far as remote work. Um, I certainly do not envy people who are making those business decisions. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of glad that I'm here on the receiving end of it. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, it's funny because, of course, I was telling you that I maybe want to go back to an office because I don't always get a whole lot of done. I'm here in my bedroom, which you're <laughs> like, oh, look, a new background. It's <laughs> right. my, I have a temporary desk set up in the bedroom because it's cold in my basement. Um, so it's just kind of interesting of like, do I want to go through another year working from home entirely? There are conveniences to it, of course, but at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, you can get laundry done during the day, but mm -hmm, mm -hmm. at the same time, it, if you have the boys at home, then you're pulled in three different directions. I certainly just don't focus as well. Yeah. I, I mean, that's absolutely true. I get a, uh, I get torn between my domestic duties, which are extensive. I, I do most of the housekeeping in our house. Mm -hmm. um, I get sort of torn between that, uh, my role as a parent, which um, Kevin also struggled with, this idea of like our children are home, they're being watched, but they're here physically and right. they're in a space where we can hear them sometimes. Where and they and they don't they simply don't understand that you're working and, and trying yes. to be productive in yeah. a professional situation. Mm -hmm. Like I feel guilty for going downstairs to get a water refill because I'm kind of teasing my kids um, and my mother for that matter, who's probably <laughs> desperate for adult conversation <laughs> at that point. Yeah. Um, but like there's just a lot that goes into working from home that can really like I said, there's a lot of convenience, but there there are some definite factors that I didn't realize I wouldn't like or wouldn't be 100% beneficial. I thought it'd be great to see my kids during lunch. thought it would be great to be able to do laundry or roll out of bed late or do all those things. And in retrospect, it's kind of interesting. Mm -hmm. They're not always as great as I thought they'd be. Yeah. Well, I mean, case in point, I did not sleep very well on Sunday night. And okay. um, I think I... Is your four-year-old uh, walking up and getting into your bed and <laughs> no, then peeing no, in it? No, 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 no. Of no? course not. Okay. Of course not. But uh, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, I had plans to go into the office early, get a workout in, and I just I woke up so early and couldn't go back to sleep. Um, and then last night, um, I was umpiring. It was Monday night. Umpiring until eleven. Wanted to sleep in and maybe I, I know 11 first world. Yeah. 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 First world problems. Um, Oof. The last game started at 955 and there's oh. a 65 minute time limit, oh. um, which ends up screwing the umpire more often than not. Anyways, I digress. Um, yeah. Off the field at 11. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to sleep in and I'll, I'll wake up and I'll, um, you know, uh, join the morning meeting and, and then I'll go in after because I would planned mm. to be in the office. And then I looked at the calendar. I was like, I can stay home today. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, but yeah. I'll be in the office or I'll be a good employee and be in the office the rest of the week. Well, it's interesting. <laughs> I've had several people kind of, um, you know, talk about like the recording system, which is a note taking system. Um, like CRM kind of thing. Yeah. 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 And like, make sure you take good notes, make sure you're logging things and that kind of thing. And, you know, 
several people have kind of mentioned to me like that's how they know you're doing your job mm-hmm. instead of doing your laundry yeah and it's like it's interesting because we never really established rules for that at my previous business like and it was so unusual and bizarre for everybody that like we didn't really know how to do some things and my team was expected to be on phone lines mm-hmm. like the majority of their day same as they were from from work so it was just there were certain ways to do that, but it's it's interesting to see monitoring processes and a new company and, and that kind of stuff too. Yeah. Um, but I, I've I've talked to a lot of people, every single person who I've talked to who has a job that can be done from home says that they work they've worked harder from home. Hmm. Or at least longer. Well, that yeah, that's part of it. I've heard of a lot of um, you know, still working in, in normal eight hour day mm-hmm. but maybe breaking it off into two hour blocks mm-hmm. and you might start at eight, but you're really not done working until six or seven. Yep. I, I've, you know, uh, a past radio job, I, I try to split shift and I was just like, Nope, let's just knock it all out in eight hours and be done. Okay. <laughs> that, that my preference, you know? Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I, it's weird because like as a manager, when I was at work, you know, I kind of kept an eye on the bandwidth of my team and, I would say 80% would be a good goal. Like you cannot expect people to work a hundred percent of the time they're there. Even, even a hundred percent of the time that they're at their desks, it's unrealistic to think they can work all of that time. But in a home setting, I felt kind of judged or like nervous that I would be judged for walking away. And then at some point I got over that, obviously. Um, (laughs) And then I was working like so ridiculously that it was crazy. But, yeah. you know, it's just one of those things that's kind of interesting. Like everybody on my team indicated, I could tell that they were all stressed to express the kind of work that they were doing to make sure I was aware they were working. And I read a lot and did a lot of research about it. Like you cannot, you literally cannot monitor their work or, or them working. You have to just monitor their output. Mm-hmm. And are they, are they, putting the output that you need because that's the only thing you can really look at yeah because you can't monitor what they're doing in that in that sense that you used to be able to at least have a gauge for it it's interesting the difference in job title and position and you know i've lately i've been feeling like for for our position um it's not something where you can afford to take an hour break here right in in Mm -hmm. sales you have to be making phone calls and if you're not hitting normal call volume then we're gonna notice and but at the same time, I can't be there holding your hand and saying, hey, you need to make calls. Yeah. I, you know, you're you're at home. I'm at home. You know, it's different in the office. Um, this, well, this, but the expectation struggles. there is that you're getting paid from a call. You're getting paid uh, a commission, right? Mm-hmm. Or From a sale, so yeah. yeah. From a sales perspective, from a customer service perspective, your ass better be in the chair. Right, because there's because you're not getting calls. paid per like you're getting paid to be in that chair manning all those calls. Right, not right. You're gonna get paid if you do this and you do that, and so right. yeah, it's a totally different perspective of why aren't you answering those calls? That is your job mm-hmm. versus hey, if you don't make your calls, you're not gonna get paid. Whatever, no skin mm-hmm. off my nose. Right, I and mean, granted, that's a really callous way to put it. Right, but it's 100 percent right. But it's fairly accurate. Yeah. And I'm not trying to say sales managers don't care about their employees and don't want to help them through either. I hope you understand that. And I'm not saying that, you know, customer service managers are complete taskmasters because I don't believe that either. 
but yeah, it's it's sort of like, you know, I'm I'm paying people literally to sit in the chair and field every call. You're paying people if they want to get paid, they'll work hard. Yep. And it's just yep. a very different kind of approach. Reminds me of that line from the office. I know you're not an office fan, but um you know the character Pam, right? Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, I do. So she transitions into sales at some point in the series and she's not a very good saleswoman. And <laughs> she <laughs> she has this uh, talking head where she's like, it's so unfair that I'm paraphrasing, but it's so unfair that you you make almost no money if you're not good at sales. I guess that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that, yeah. It's totally fair. <laughs> well, hey, Sorry, um, now I'm quoting Bluey. Let's get away from that. <laughs> um, we've got a an awesome conversation on tap here with Dave Ross, not to be confused with Cubs manager David Ross. Um, he is a host at Stadium. Uh, we didn't really talk about Stadium, which I think is an interesting concept that evolved from 120 Sports over the years. Um, but Justin Fields had a, a pretty impressive debut as the Bears quarterback over the weekend in their first preseason game against the Dolphins. Uh, so we'll talk about that. We'll touch on the defense and the future of this Bears team and what they're going to do this season. And he was a Marine, and so we'll get his perspective also on the events this past week in Afghanistan and um, just a kind of bizarre situation at the Kabul airport a couple of days ago as people were literally falling off of a plane, Kelsey. I don't know if you saw that video. It but was sad. Yeah. Uh, people literally falling off a plane after it took off, mm-hmm. just trying to get out of Afghanistan. Hard so, to watch. Hard to watch. Very levels. hard to watch. Yep. So yeah. we'll, we'll get his perspective. Um, I, not opening the political can of worms here because that's not what we're about. Um, but as a former Marine and um, someone who's spent time in the Middle East, uh, we'll get his perspective on, on what's going on in Afghanistan uh, just over this last week. So let's get to that conversation right now. Justin, what was it like in your first game adjusting to the NFL speed as opposed to college? It was actually kind of slow to me, to be honest. Uh, you know, I think, you know, I, I was expecting it to be a little bit faster, but, you know, practicing, you know, game speed, going at it with my teammates every day. And, of course, you know, we have a great defense. So uh, me going against them every day, um, it, it definitely slowed, slowed the game up a, a little bit for me. So, um, I mean, I, I felt comfortable out there, and um, I just, you know, I, of course I have room to grow, so I'm just going to try to get better each and every day. I thought, Justin, I know, uh, you know, all these guys did a good job, but but I thought because he played the most snaps, the one thing that you felt from Justin probably that we all took away down there, that he was extremely calm the whole time. Matt Nagy and Justin Fields after Saturday's preseason win for the Chicago Bears, the beloved. And we're back, Kelsey Brady and David Ross, not the Cubs manager, David Ross, no. but uh, <laughs> a host at Stadium, David Ross. And, and Dave, I have to I have to ask, like, how many times you either go to a hotel or oh you, you talk to Cubs fans and you, you introduce introduce yourself as David Ross? Like, that's that's got to be the worst. It, it happens all the time. And I'll tell you, every time you have to show an ID for any reason, I get the instant double take in this town. I'm like, oh, no, not the right one. I mean, I've got the gray hair yep. that's coming mm-hmm. in like Rossi. So we're, we're very, very close. And I did have the good fortune of inter- interviewing him after the Cubs won the World Series in 2016. And we had a blast with it. He was a lot of fun with it. Uh, he's just an all-around good guy. It's hard not to root for him. So I wish I had the same bank account as my name's <laughs> uh, But he's, he's really good. And I know, obviously, it's a tough time for Cub fans. And I'm sure it's a t- tough time for Rossi going through it. But 
I think he's actually the right guy to be handling something like this. They got a win tonight, finally. Mm-hmm. They lost Broke the curse. 12 in a row, well, which is a 12, 12 game losing <laughs> a 12 streak, game right? losing oh. streak. Their, it's their second oh. 11 plus game losing streak of the season. And um, wow. I, I think 100 ouch. losses is on the table because they really don't have any pitching. But we're not here to talk about the Cubs. It is <laughs> it is football season, especially for me as a Cubs fan. Kelsey's a White Sox fan. So lots of excitement still around that ball club. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, certainly the, the, the city of Chicago comes together when we start talking about the bears, you know, it's an old sports radio, uh, in Chicago, sort of colloquialism that as soon as you, as soon as you mention this, the, the bears, the phones light up, the needle starts moving. People want to talk about the bears year round. So now that we finally have a game to talk about, um, mm-hmm. let's talk about it. So, so Dave, Justin Fields makes his preseason debut, um, I forget the exact line off the top of my head. Uh, it was like 10 of 12 or 10 of 14 for 140 and a touchdown. Yeah. Um, you know, pretty damn good for a preseason debut, whatever you can make from it. Yeah, and that's the thing. And I have uh, John Fox on stadium inside the league, and it's interesting getting his perspective, obviously, when they had Mitchell Trubisky, and I know everybody doesn't want to go back to 2016. They trade up the second pick. Fox is the head coach, and he didn't want to play him. He really safeguarded uh, Trubisky in that rookie year, if you remember, and then he got fired. Matt Nagy comes in and he kind of got exposed. Now, Justin Fields, and this is why I wanted to get his perspective on it. Look dynamic. This town wants him to be QB one in the worst way. They clearly do not want Andy Dalton to be QB one, but you got to remember defensive coordinators in the preseason are as vanilla as it gets. They're not going to show anything. So if you are going to succeed, this is the time you're going to succeed when it truly does not matter. So while it's good to be excited as a fan base, it's good to be excited as a medium. I understand that. It's the job upon Matt Nagy to really say, hey, I hear everybody, and I know the clamoring, and what they saw in the preseason doesn't necessarily translate to Aaron Donald, one of the best <laughs> defenses in the league in the Rams, in week number one, and Jalen Ramsey on the outside. So before we go mad hysteria over what we saw in a meaningless game at home against Miami in August, you got to think about what is the bigger picture. And really, to be perfectly blunt, I still believe Andy Dalton is going to be the week one starter for a lot of these reasons that the media and the fans will never fully be able to understand. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I remember I was actually at the first preseason game of Mitchell Trubisky's career. And I think it was a Thursday night. I forget who they played, but, you know, Mike Glennon was the starter that year. And there was a a palpable excitement when Mitchell Trubisky came onto the field for his first Mm -hmm. professional series in the preseason. And there was a noticeable difference in the um, level of athleticism and level of skill, Mitchell Trubisky versus Mike Glennon. Ultimately, it, it didn't work out. Ryan Pace gets a second rookie quarterback, which amazing. <laughs> I don't That's know. Amazing. If, it, you know, he he has failed at the top of the draft, but he's done a lot of good things underneath there and some key free agent signings that, you know, had the Bears in the playoffs two of the last what three seasons, four seasons. I, I forget yeah. exactly what it is, but, you know, they've made the playoffs a couple times, you know, no matter right. what you say about last season, 
you it's an indisputable fact they technically made the playoffs. So they got in. <laughs> they That's got right. in. Yeah. They, they got in. Did. Whether they backed in or not, they they got in and they got embarrassed by the Saints, but that's another story. Um, right. <laughs> so uh, Justin Fields comes in, arguably, actually, for sure, with more excitement around him. Be- yes. I think because he's been so visible at the college level. And, you know, Kelsey, it's been a long time since we here in Chicago have seen a quarterback come to our team that's been this visible at the college level. It was funny. Um, Kevin came home after the million on Saturday and had recorded the game um, and was watching it. And I said, "Um, do you know how the game ends? And he said, yeah, I heard Fields played really well. And I was like, that's not actually what I asked. (laughs) (laughs) So I I kind of think it's interesting, um, you know, as far as as college chatter, um, it's not something I follow. So I can't speak to it intelligently, um, but it's kind of funny. You know, Dave was basically just telling us all to like, hold our horses and I'm <laughs> how well that usually works when talking to Chicago sports fans. I'm assuming not so well. Not so well. No, especially with the Bears. <laughs> yeah, not but very well at all, Kelsey. But I, love, I love that explanation, Kelsey, because that's all that matters. You're right. The, the fact that the Bears came back and won the game against the Dolphins is inconsequential. It was just Justin Fields. He had now, he really, literally had no reaction when I said, do you know how it ends? It was, <laughs> no, it was nothing about fantastic. that. I got to tell you all, I actually think a sneaky bigger move than what happened in Justin Fields' debut on the same day they signed Jason Peters. Now, we don't know what he's going to be able to bring from Philadelphia, but you're talking about a potential Hall of Famer that could be, if he's got anything left, playing left tackle, protecting the blind side of Justin Fields. And that, to me, is a significant signing. And I always say, kick the tires on greatness, right? If, if you've got a player that was once great, like Peters was at his, at his peak, you got to see if there's anything left. You see guys still in the league here that have been playing O-line for 12, 13 years. They want to quit, and the coaches won't let them because they know where the hell they're supposed to be and what they're supposed to do. And a lot of times with a young offensive lineman and a young quarterback, that's a recipe for disaster. So when I saw that move and you look at the sprinkled in draft picks and the O-line that they had besides Justin Fields, you don't want to go with a bunch of youth at that position. You want some old salty dogs like Peters there. So to me, that signing could be really significant in his development. That's why a guy like Andy Dalton right now is the safer play week one if you didn't have guys up front that you could really trust, right? So to me, it still makes sense to go with Dalton. It really doesn't even matter how well Fields plays the rest of the way in preseason, okay? Even if he's ready and he's clearly better at practice, and that's really where the coaching staff is going to pay homage to who really is going to give this team the best chance to win long-term. That answer right now could be Justin Fields, and it still might not matter in week number one. It still feels like, to me, the safest way to go is go with Andy Dalton until he fails, he will fail. And when he fails, that's when you go to Justin Fields. And I know people are going to go, well, that, that's kind of counterintuitive. Why would you wait for a guy to fail when you know he's going to fail? He also could get you out of the gate two and two. And we saw it in Miami last year when Miami got out, out of the gate three and one with Ryan Fitzpatrick. What did they do at three and one? They switched over to Tua Tungavailoa. Why? Because they knew in practice that the ceiling for the rookie, and we saw he really technically wasn't even ready then but they knew he was the higher ceiling. Fields is still the higher ceiling. Let the veteran go out early, hopefully keep the ship steady, and then go to a Fields maybe when you're 2-2 two and two 
He's had four games to let the NFL pace, to watch Andy Dalton be a pro, go through your reads, watch a pro who's done it for double digits in the league, do it, emulate that, and then you're ready to go, I say, by week five. To me, that feels like the right trip out there to, to Las Vegas against the Raiders. If you're going to pinpoint a week where I see Ooh, Justin Fields Las becoming Vegas, the starter. Raiders. Yeah, I'm looking at a 2-2 start. That's okay. <laughs> I'm looking at a two and two start, and then you bring in Fields against the uh, Las Vegas Raiders. So, Kelsey, um, Dave is a Cowboys fan, and <laughs> I love how uh, he classifies Andy Dalton as a pro because he is. He spent a lot yeah. of time with the Bengals, um, and there's not much bad you can say about Andy Dalton's career, you know, objectively speaking, but he hasn't been spectacular. And then he shows up with the Cowboys, and after Dak goes out, was just kind of eh, right? I mean, and that's why you say he's going to fail with such certainty. Yeah, and last year, you got to remember down in Dallas, they were on to their third-string offensive lineman, too. And I always bring this point back up because, especially with young quarterbacks, now Andy survived, and the Cowboys actually played decent football down the stretch for what was an abysmal start. Uh, even with Dak playing, uh, they only had one win when Dak was in there. So Dalton was able to make up for a porous offensive line with his limited physical ability because he knew where the football should go and he can get it out of his hands. And that's a key in this league. If your offensive line is not great. Now, if the bears offensive line is significantly upgraded and that's what they're really hoping it is this year, then you're more apt to turn it over to the rookie because yes, he can use his legs, but if he's always running for his life and that's the way you're moving the football, that's really not going to help his long-term progression. All that is, is really going to be staving off injury, right? We're right. just hoping the kid can get out of bounds and stay upright. I mean, that's what you're looking at. Best case scenario, he moves them all down that way. It was kind of similar to Mitchell early on. He got so scared, not, not scared, but like he's running for his life so often, it's hard to go through your progressions and your reads and to, to become a truly proficient NFL quarterback. When Andy Dalton was coming up in Cincinnati, he had really good offensive lines. And that's why he was successful early in his career out of TCU. And that's why he became a consummate pro. He's not the most talented quarterback. He's an average quarterback at best, but he's smart because he's been in the league. He knows where the football can go. Justin Fields is going to get there, everybody. Like, I just want to tell Bears fans, just wait. You're actually going to do him a disservice if you rush him out there too soon. Yeah. (laughs) Kelsey, we got to just tell the fans. They got to pump the brakes because you don't want to get the kid out there in week one against Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey. Take those bullets. Let Andy Dalton take those. That's he's getting paid ten million dollars this year. That's a good ransom to go out there and take some shots and let uh, Justin Fields learn behind Andy Dalton. Yeah, it's, it's... interesting. You keep talking about practice, you know, and, mm-hmm. and that's where you're. That's the only way that you're going to kind of get your info and your intel. So, when do you start? When do you start someone like Fields? When do you start a rookie, in general, like? Does it depend on your Does it depend on your schedule? Does it depend on a lot of different factors? Or do you Road have, like, versus yes. home. Decent, like- Kelsey, it's, a, it's an excellent question. It's one I've debated a lot with my buddy Tyler Foles, who has now moved on to ESPN. And we and I always said this, and I don't know who came up with the term. It's a terrible term. There's many ways to skin a cat. I don't know who's skinning cats. Don't skin cats. <laughs> it's an awful concept. But when you just think about the slogan here, there are so many different ways you can do this with rookie quarterbacks. And I can go back. As you know, Brady was alluding to as a Cowboy fan, Troy Aikman, his rookie year, he got killed. Cowboys went one and 15. Troy Aikman, as a rookie starting quarterback, won zero NFL football games a whole 
season. Steve Walsh was the only guy to get a win in 1989. And guess what they did? They went on, he went on to a Hall of Fame career and he won three Super Bowls, right? And he took a beating, but he learned that way. Other guys like Pat Mahomes, like we've seen in Kansas City, sat a whole year behind who? Alex Smith, a consummate pro. Kind of more than that Andy Dalton, elevated from an Andy Dalton, but cerebral enough that you can really pass those things along. And Pat Mahomes is on record saying that one year behind Alex Smith, and he started the final week of that season, if you remember, as a rookie, and he lit it up against the, the, the then San Diego Chargers. He learned a ton by sitting because the expectation level, they weren't necessarily as high. I don't know that the Bears' expectation level should be, let's get the kid in there earlier than later and see what this team can do. Yes, the defense is good, and the defense might be good enough to keep them in games. But is this a Super Bowl team? That I'm not, I'm not so sure of. So I want to let Andy Dalton take you as far as he can go, which will not be all the way. And then when you reach that end of the rope, and Justin Fields has soaked up all that game knowledge that you can get from watching, and then you can only truly get from playing, I think that's the right mix. That's, again, why I look to week five as a possible scenario where he has a month to sit and watch live NFL football. Because I know he said, you know, the game really wasn't that fast. Wait till you get to the ones. You're going up against the twos and threes in preseason. Wait till those robbers are coming from everywhere with those D coordinators heating you up, kid. So it's going to get a lot faster for Justin Fields when the bullets are live, not in the preseason. Yep. Yeah. It's that, coming. And that, that's one of the things I was going to bring up was he said the game was slow for him. And, you know, as Bears fans, we kind of eat that up like, oh, my God, the, the jump from college to pro wasn't that, you know, difficult for him. This guy's going to be amazing. And it's, it's the hunger for a quarterback here. You yes. bring up you bring up Pat Mahomes and what the Chiefs were able to do. Um you know, building around a young quarterback on a rookie contract. Um, and that's sort of the model now in the NFL is draft a quarterback and build around him while he's still on that rookie deal and relatively cheap. Mm -hmm. I don't know if I have confidence in Ryan Pace to be able to do that. It's a great, great point. And, I, you know, we almost kind of laugh really saying, boy, he gets to pick a second quarterback. I'm stunned. He's been able to survive this long to be able to do that. Now, it looks like he got it right. Look, I'm a big fan of Justin Fields. I think he's going to be really good, and I think he's going to be the best quarterback this organization has ever had, right? But I do wonder, is that going to be Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace that are going to be after this year? Because we have no idea how this year is going to go. And if they don't show progress there and almost that we see that Nagy and Fields have something going, they're going to get rid of those guys. And again, it happened with Mitchell Trubisky after year one of John Fox. And you're going to get a whole new system in here potentially. And then we'll find out if Justin Fields can then relate to whatever the new offense and whatever the new scheme the GM wants to run. All those factors are at play. This is a one-year deal, essentially, for Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace. And if they don't show enough to believe that with that hierarchy in place, and with Justin Fields, if that triumphant is not in unison after this year, Justin Fields would be the only one back. And then you got to start over right. with a brand new coaching staff. So that's the danger there. So, you know, you wonder if Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, they know that. They know that this year is really put up or shut up for them. And if they don't, you know, maybe squeak into the playoffs, Brady, like you alluded to last year, and Fields is a starting quarterback, that clearly would be enough to bring them back and have faith that they're going in the right direction. But if this goes south and they go five and 11 and fields plays the majority and you're just not seeing it, 
they're out and there's going to be a brand new regime that comes in. So make no mistake, it bought them time, but I don't know that it bought them too much time past this year. I wonder too on the defensive side of the ball, Dave. Um, you know the the news this week has been Akeem Hicks wanting an extension. Khalil Mack, if you ask me, hasn't been impactful the last year or two as he was, you know, the first season with the team. Um, you know, is the defense really going to hold up their end of the bargain? You know, to give Justin Fields a chance to win some ball games. Well, they're not getting younger, and you know, you look at it with a guy like Hicks who was banged up a lot last year, but normally. Before that, he's so reliable. He's a guy you can just, you know, he's going to be there. He's going to give you everything he's got. He's going to play hurt, right? And there is a difference between playing injured and playing hurt. You can play hurt. You can't play when you're injured, right? And that's the type of guy Akeem Hicks is. So, yeah, he's getting a little bit long in the tooth. So how much do you want to really look at your future and say he's a part of it for three, four years? That's another key decision Ryan Pace has got to make. Your Khalil Mack uh, conversation is interesting because I think after game one against the Packers, in a game they should have won, if we remember that. We oh, just yeah. stole the ball from Rodgers and, you know, whatever. It looked like he was going to just do anything. He was going to be the next Lawrence Taylor. He hasn't been that guy. But, you know, we all said, well, the Bears stole this from John Gruden and three number ones. What a steal. They made him the highest paid defensive end in the history of the NFL when they signed him. And that's why the Raiders didn't bring him back because they couldn't afford to keep him. And they got three ones in return. So that even that move, which was all champion as Ryan Pace won it, won it, won it. Now you step back from it years later and you go, did he win it? I don't know. It's a very, maybe it a bit, you know, kind of a win-win, but they had to pay him a King's ransom. He's got to play better. And that he's still, he's still really good, but he needs to be superior. He needs to be elite. He needs to be, you know, the best or the second best edge rusher in the game. That's what the Bears need him to be, and that's who they thought they were getting initially. So he hasn't been that well. He's been really good. But he, Khalil Mack being really good isn't good enough. You know, I always say for my Cowboys, I'm harshest on the best players. I need Dak Prescott to be super Dak Prescott. I right. can't have him just being Dak Prescott. I need Khalil Mack as a Bears fan in, in that Bears organization, and if I'm Matt Nagy, I need you to be – Chuck Pagano. I need you to be the best defensive player on the field Every week when we're out there, either team, I need you to be that guy. And if he can be that guy, then that defense can still be elite. But they are getting older, and that's never a good sign. So I thought two years ago their window was clearly open. It's still open right now to be an elite, potentially top five defense. But I think there are others right now around the NFL that you go right now, you take those defenses over the Bears. Still mm -hmm. very good. Yeah. I just don't know that they're good enough to drag around an offense, which we just don't know if, if that offense is going to live up to their end of the bargain. This weekend ought to be interesting. Um, it's like the ex-girlfriend coming back to town for the first time. <laughs> <laughs> Mitchell Trubisky back at Soldier Field with the Buffalo a Bills. <laughs> yeah, a lot of Mitch, right. I don't even know. I mean, I'm assuming Josh Allen's going to play, but I, I don't know. I haven't looked at Bill's headlines, but um, – I don't know. It's it's uh, I kind of feel bad for the guy, although he, he did have some comments that it was like, hey, it's nice to be appreciated, um, which look, you're you're uh, the quarterback of the Chicago Bears. At the end of the day, you played OK, not great. Like the record was good, but like the eye test it didn't do much for us. Right. And there were a no. lot of factors. Right. There, there are a lot of factors that go into it. The offensive line is bad weapons on the edge with the receivers. Um, Adam Shaheen can't catch a cold. 
there's so many factors that play into Mitchell Trubisky's time here. I kind of feel bad for the guy, but at the same time, he better be ready for a shitstorm come Saturday afternoon. No question about it. And I, look, y'all, I, I look at it this way. Okay, he didn't do himself a whole lot of favors. We can, you know, it's been well documented. The, the TV's at Hallis Hall. He's going to turn him off, and that's somehow going to make him a leader. And look, he's a young kid, and they handed over the keys to the car to him way too soon. He wasn't ready. It's just, quite frankly, wasn't ready. When they went 12 and four in the double doink year, I remember telling everybody <laughs> at Stadium, I said, Your quarterback's holding you back. And I go, oh, We were 12 and four. If the kicker, if Parkey makes the kick, well, then, you know, and I'm like, No, it doesn't, it shouldn't have come down to that. The offense, played so poorly in, in certain instances. They're like, well, Mitch drove him down there to get in position. He had to put up, what, 17 points in a playoff game? Right. Like, that's good enough? So I, I think it was glossed over because of the double doink, the deficiencies that I saw in the winning season, not the losing, in the winning season. Yeah, six touchdowns in the one game, right? And everybody's like, oh, here he is. And I'm like, it's one game against a really bad Tampa Bay team back in the day. So I kept telling everybody, your defense then was elite. Yes, it, was it was one of the best units yep. in the NFL. And you had a semblance of a running game a little bit back then. And Jordan Howard, rookie year with John Fox, you know, he did really well. Yeah, so they had pieces that they could have figured out if their quarterback play was better. So Mitchell's going to come back here. And I, you know, I don't root any against anybody really in the league. It's just, you got to kind of lay it out in plain speak. It was a square peg in a roll round hole. It was not going to fit in Chicago. I don't know that it's ever going to fit anywhere as a starting quarterback in the NFL. It's just not what I see. Now I'm not a talent talent evaluator. I'm just going by the years I watched him every week in Chicago. And as a guy who's watched football for four plus decades, showing my age, I just go, man, that's not my quarterback. That's not the guy I want leading any team, let alone it's in Chicago or anywhere else. So he's going to be a backup for a while. And I think that's going to be a good role for him. But to think that he ever bounces back, like I'm trying to think of a guy like say, Marcus Mariota, who had much more success than Mitch ever had. And then he became a backup in, in Oakland and now Las Vegas. And you saw when he got the opportunity to play, when Carr was injured, he played pretty well, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. But guess what teams weren't doing? Clamoring to go get Marcus Mariota. Right. So if they're not clamoring to go get that guy when he looked good in relief, who's going to be clamoring to go get Mitchell Trubisky away from Buffalo in a year to ever be a star? He had his shot and he, it was a real shot and he was given a real chance and he did not run and break down that wall. He hit the wall and the wall won. You bring up the double doink game and I'm sure Kelsey remembers well watching it at, at her house, uh, her husband, Kevin and I have been best friends for years and years and years. I mean, just the level of devastation after that, that field goal and the, the look on Matt Nagy's face is priceless by the way. Um, oh my God. The, I mean, Kelsey, you can attest to this. The, the attitude around the Chicago Bears and the excitement around a Sunday Bears game, no matter what time it is, you know, 12, 3.15 or 7.30. I mean, we get together, we grill, we, you know, make buffets and drink bars. Yeah, <laughs> but, I have to oh, say, man. I think like it should tell you a little bit about our fandom that Kevin's excited about cooking during games the last however long um and about like oh let's have people over and i'm like yeah that's normally my scene of like oh yeah let's invite people over and entertain and so the fact that he was kind of like yeah you know we can make a special this because they're playing minnesota and i'm like oh no, juicy lucy's yeah exactly i was like well remember that super spicy chili that nobody could really i see 
um, for was that the Broncos? I don't remember. Um, it, yeah, it was. Maybe it? the anyway. Bengals. I digress. But yeah, I mean, it, it should tell you something about Chicago football that my husband, who's a lifelong Bears fan, was more excited about what we were cooking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and, and y'all, here's what I here's what I really remember the most about the double doink. It's not even so much that all right, kickers miss kicks. I get that. Sure. It was it was the next year. It was the Thursday night game against Green Bay with that off season. And do you guys remember the excitement? The Packers oh, yeah. are coming in on Thursday night, and the Bears coming off that twelve and four. The double doinks behind him, and Nagy showing it on a loop at House Hall, and everybody's motivated by it. We're gonna go out there and kick Aaron Rodgers' ass and all that. And they led, they just played the clunker of all clunker games on that Thursday night. And they lost badly to the Packers. Remember, just ter- terrible offensive execution. And that's when I went, oh, it's over for Mitch Trubisky. Like to me, that more so than the double doink game, it was the very next game to begin the next season on the Thursday night against the Packers. That's when it cemented it for me that this is never going to work. And I don't care what you try to do with Mitch Trubisky the energy was sucked out of the, the collective city of Chicago that night. I'll never yeah. forget that. That that felt almost more depressing in a way than the double doink game because the expectations were set so high coming off 12 and four. We should have gone to the Super Bowl, all that stuff. Wait till Mitch with a full off season, got a new kicker. And then they laid that clunker and it set the tone for the rest of the Mitch Trubisky, Matt Nagy era, which lasted two more years. Yep. Yep. I don't know. You know, it's it, Bears fans are the extreme of the extreme, I think. Um, and, and Dave, you're, you're not originally from Chicago. You're a Cowboy no. fan. So you bring that objective perspective. Um, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know how much sports radio you listen to here in the city. But, man, if you listen to Bears postgame callers, especially after either a dramatic loss or they give up a 50 burger. I mean, you got really it's ugly. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah. really is. It I mean, is and, entertaining. Th- and those are the calls that make the air. <laughs> I feel, I, I feel right, bad for right, the producers right. screening those calls. <laughs> sure. No, I, I, I gotta tell you, uh, I've been here now for eight years. Okay. And I come from the DC area where I worked and I covered the Washington football team for a long time. Um, most NFL cities have passionate fan bases. The, the Bears fan base is as good as any NFL fan base that I've ever been accustomed, that I've ever been around and that I've seen. And I've been to Oakland and back in the day and, you know, Black Hole. And I've been to Texas Stadium and then now Jerry World and been to see the Eagles and their crazy fans and the Giants. I've been around a lot of places in a lot of cities. I don't know if the Bears are number one, but they're on the short list of the best and most passionate fans that I've ever come across. They, they, they're not delusional, but they. <laughs> I was say, and yet, yeah, <laughs> but like, yet. They, like it was like when I was trying to keep it real on the Trubisky front, I could see that they were trying to make it work, and they're going through this mental gymnastics of no, 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 no. Let's stay positive and make this sucker work. And I kept saying, guys, you, you're you're missing the point here. Your team is good enough if you had the the signal caller. And I was saying, go get Tom Brady. I was with Lawrence Holmes. I said it on Chicago radio. And they're like, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bring Brady in here. And they didn't even entertain the thought. And what happens? Brady goes to Tampa and they win the Super Bowl. That was kind of my point. Yeah. Your team, your team wasn't that far away. Nobody wanted Tom Brady, if you remember that, which was insane. But they wanted to figure it out with Mitchell Trubisky. Like those type of things in decision making 
in the front office lead to fans thinking, well, this has got to be the year that it happens. So before they go down this road with Justin Fields, who's going to be very good, people, do not misconstrue anything about what I'm about to say. You've got to show the patience that you didn't show with Mitch Trubisky because you, you play him too soon. You do run the danger of things going out of whack quickly, and the lost year leads to, again, potentially a lost coach, lost GM, and then you start over, and you hope you get it better. But if this is the road you want to go down with Matt Nagy and Ryan Pace, play the long game. Do not play the short game to appease the fan base and the media and social media, which is going to be clamoring yes, for it will Justin be. Fields QB1 yep. on day one. They don't want to hear it. They oh, don't want to hear it's, it's been. They don't want to hear rational talk. It, it's been that way since they moved up in the draft to get him. And That's right. it's, it's two straight r- rookie quarterbacks that Ryan Pace has moved up to get. Hopefully this one pans out uh, as we finish up with the Bears here, Dave. Um, I want your prediction for the season record-wise, um, you know, where sort of they finish in the NFC North. I, I, I looked at the schedule, and again, I, it's hard to go, well, that win-loss, win-loss. I did it early. I do think they come out of the gate 2-2. Two and two. I think they got Detroit and Cincinnati as very winnable games, and I know the Rams are week one. Uh, and the week three matchup, I think, is on the road. It's very tough as well. So I, I kind of charted it as two and two, and then you turn it over to Fields. And at that point, I have no idea what to expect from him because I really don't gauge a whole lot off preseason. Again, very quickly, 2012 in D.C., RG3 didn't play a snap in the preseason, not one snap. They go out to New Orleans in week one, and that's when Griffining happened, and they go out and they whack the Saints, shock and awe, and he goes on to be he's rookie of the year. Like Mike Shanahan did that the right way. That's why I talk about practice is so important. Shanahan knew what he had in RG3. He didn't tip his hand by showing anything in the preseason. So you had no book on him. Not to say they have a book on Justin Fields after one preseason game. But like practice is where it's really going to happen. That's where everything's going to happen for this kid. And the more practice he gets, especially watching Andy Dalton early in real games with real bullets that matter, the better I think he'll be. Again, I wouldn't sit him that long. But I think you go off two and two, you feel good about your offensive line, you feel good about where Fields is in practice, that's when you make a move, and Andy Dalton will even understand that. But even there, let's just say they get off to that two and two start, looking at the schedule, I think it's a seven-win team. I know it's a 17-game season. I'm looking seven and ten. I'm looking eight and nine. Someone, it's not an easy schedule. There's not a lot of games that you just go, oh, yeah, win, 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 win. You make the Especially playoffs, now, you get a tough schedule. That's right. And when you've got 12 twice a year, good luck winning (laughs) one of those. Right. I do think the Vikings are going to be better defensively. I think Zimmer is going to shore that up. And I think offensively they're, they're a force with Dalvin in the backfield. And I think, uh, you know, Casey eight is not as bad as everybody likes to make him out to be. And they've got weapons on the outside. That's going to be a tough win to get one of those Detroit. You would like to think you win both of those. So maybe you've got three in the division. Okay. Good luck getting five out of it. Like, mm-hmm. good luck. Yep. Go find those wins for me because they're not that easy, maybe past Cincinnati. And that probably isn't just a, a pushover with Joe Burrow back and, and company there. They look at they're taking strides. So there's just not a lot of wins that I, I don't see this as a playoff team. I see this as a 7 and 10, 8 and 19 that's fighting down the stretch for a wild card. But third place in the division, I think they're clearly behind Green Bay and Minnesota. But I don't have visions of grandeur for, for year one with Justin Fields. I think we can agree that they'll be 
interesting, especially yes. with that, that Fields situation and when he starts and how he plays. Um, Dave, there's been a lot of news this week outside of sports. And how, how long were you an active Marine? Uh, I was in the Marine Corps for six years, uh, from 1988 to 1994, showing my age again. Uh, <laughs> and I served in uh, Operation Desert Storm in the Middle East uh, and helped uh, liberate Kuwait when, if you remember, Saddam Hussein and his uh, Iraqi forces had taken over the country. So we went into Saudi Arabia, eventually made our way to the border, and then uh, resecured uh, Kuwait, which is, um, looking back, feels like a lifetime ago, Brady, but it's, yeah. you know, one of the more surreal probably the most surreal thing i'll ever do in my life uh, i'm glad i did it once i don't know that i could ever do it again and uh i mean obviously when we have events like we've had in afghanistan this week being in the middle east and it's just it it uh it pulls on my heartstrings in many different directions let's put it that way because they're, they're not easy answers here politically but uh from a humane standpoint it's tough to watch it's tough yeah. to watch yeah, and I, I don't want to open the political can of worms per se. I just wanted to get sure. your, you know, sort of objective perspective on what's happening there because I, I don't fully understand it. Kelsey, I don't know if you do. Um, it's It's been just about 20 years since 9-11 and the, the beginning of the war in Afghanistan. I mean, to show our age, we were freshmen in high school, Kelsey and I were right. three weeks into our freshman year of high school when, when 9-11 happened. So, um, you know, as best you can here, I guess give us a summary of, what's happened in Afghanistan this week with the withdrawal of the American troops and maybe some reinsertion of American troops and that airport in Kabul and what the hell is happening mm. over there? It, and it really is confusing, uh, Kelsey and Brady, to, to from where our vantage point is, obviously watching our American media and how it's being covered. Sure. Uh, obviously, we all remember 9-11 and, and what happened on that day. I was already out. My service time had ended. Uh, years earlier in the Marine Corps, and I wanted to go back in and re-enlist when 9-11 happened, and I was on a phone a phone call with my mother, I'll never forget it, and she would not let me get off the phone without promising her that I would not go back in, because this is why I know I know how hard it is on families when you have active military members uh, over, whether it's in Afghanistan or my case in Saudi Arabia at the time, and so after 9-11 happened, obviously, uh, we went in with, it was kind of a dual mission, if you remember back then from then President George W. Bush, which was uh, to find the people that, that did uh, Al-Qaeda what happened at 9-11 and you know, make them pay and try to eradicate um, ISIS as we had done through the years. That was actually a successful part of the mission. The second part is I think where it gets a little bit more muddied waters as to were we there to then make Afghanistan a democracy, mm -hmm. a Western-style democracy, and I don't know that that was ever the objective. It might have changed into that objective, or if our military presence in Afghanistan was to make sure that the Taliban was held at bay so that we didn't have to wake up in fear of another 9-11. And mm -hmm. if that was the objective, I think we were actually quite successful in that endeavor in the last 20 years to the price of human life, because it, you know, I always say freedom is not free. And we know when we sign those contracts and take those oaths, we defended against enemies foreign and domestic. And most of the time they are foreign. And you have to go a lot of times to fight on foreign soil or, or hold foreign soil so that the fight doesn't come to the American shores, right? Yeah. So this, this historically, again, we don't have to go down all, all of our history, but you know, after World War II, that's why we have bases in Japan. That's why we have bases yeah. in Germany. 
we we did those because th those enemies at our time and at that time we wanted to make sure we had american uh holding places in those countries so that if there ever were forces that were to be against america they would know we're already there entrenched in your country mm -hmm. and it just takes an airstrip for us to come in there and like we do do in afghanistan and obviously the airfield now has been overtaken by the Taliban. And, and that's where we have these real issues today after, after what we've seen. Now, you know, I, I think most American presidents, at least since Trump and Biden, they were both in unison, in lockstep to get the troops out of Afghanistan and end this 20 year war. Trump wanted it, Biden wanted it. Obama didn't. Joe and, and Obama, when, when Biden was vice president, differed on this. And Obama sent more troops over there. Mm -hmm. So I don't really know from the outside looking in, which is the right way to go. I look, when I was told that I was coming home, I was pretty damn happy about it. And then I didn't <laughs> I have to imagine. stay over in the desert. Right. So I know that, that I'm sure most military members that have put themselves in harm's way over there are happy to get that ceasefire, cease, ceasefire, you know, you're coming back, you're coming back to the United States. That's a great sure. feeling. So I want that from a human standpoint, but you also do have to look at the calculations of when you leave a country that you've helped at least preserve safety for the United States and our allies over in that region of the world for two decades, the unrest that we've seen in six short days because of our disappearance, if you will, because of us saying, which the part that drives me crazy is announcing that we're leaving. You don't <laughs> right. announce when you attack. You don't announce when you leave. You just do it. Mm -hmm. You just do it. And then that way it's not a flag saying we're waving it and we're getting out of here. Good luck, Afghanistan. And yeah. I think a lot of people and a lot of military members like myself realized the peril that we put potentially America in today and certainly, certainly our allies in different parts of the world that go, wait a minute, are you going to do that now in the Philippines? You're going to do that now in Germany? You do that now in South Korea. Where like those else are is now, this going to happen? Right. Yeah. Those those are real questions now that our allies in other parts of the world are going to be asking of us. And mm -hmm. I think it's incumbent upon our leadership and our government to figure out what the next strategy is. Because now we can't undo what just happened, mm -hmm. but we can make sure whatever the next thing that happens is the right thing. And to be perfectly blunt, I don't know exactly what the right thing is. But that's why our leaders are our leaders, and they need to have those answers. Glad it's not my decision. It's um, a tough one. <laughs> yeah, it's it's almost lose-lose for whoever the president is. And, I mean, 20 years at war with Afghanistan and uh, spanning four presidents. I mean, just in, incredible. Have we ever had a military conflict go that long? I mean— No, Vietnam would be the first yeah. one that comes to mind. And, and we saw how that ended, and it didn't end well. It ended very similarly to the same imagery that we're seeing in Afghanistan. And, you know, I, I am old, and, you know, my Uncle Bob, God rest his soul, I'll never forget when I got back from Saudi Arabia— uh, they threw a parade for us, and my Uncle Bob was waiting in the receiving line who had served honorably in Vietnam. Well, they spit on him, and they spit on a lot of our other American soldiers that came back in Marines. And I, I was so embarrassed in that moment, and I said to my Uncle Bob, as he's waving an American flag, I said, I am so sad that you didn't get this reception that I'm getting. And he said, I'm just glad that you're getting it. Like, he was so yeah. proud of the country, of where they had come, to realize that our servicemen and women they don't get to have these political debates that we're having, right? They, they, they get told that they take an oath 
and they are given orders and they follow them and that's it. And so that's why it is a, it's with a lot of gravity and weight that our leaders have before you put our servicemen and women in harm's way. So let's make sure that what those decisions that we make are safeguarding those very people, our people that are overseas putting their lives literally on the line. And that should never be taken lightly just to prove a, a political point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the movie Three Kings, I'm, I'm assuming you've seen it? Yeah. Is, is that pretty much your, I mean, obviously yeah. not your experience because that movie was <laughs> mostly satirical, well, but. Um... Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. Well, I will tell you this. I will tell you this. You know, they were robbing gold, right? That's right, what trying to right, do. yeah. Um, I will say, I, I will confess that after we beat Saddam's forces and, um, well, we took some things from uh, <clears throat> the Iraqis <laughs> that maybe we shouldn't, like, you know, AK-47 Russian made weaponry that we want to take back as souvenirs. And what we had done was we had put them in our five ton trucks in the Marine Corps. Well, we had our engineers basically and our uh, much smarter people than me figure out a way to get those tires off. And then we put the weapons in the tires ah. so that our people couldn't see them. Then we could take them back to the States and we'd all get a AK-47. Well, no, 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 no. <laughs> they, they found out about that. And then they made us sit and watch in a big bonfire as they blew up and detonated all of the weaponry and all of the uh, <laughs> ammo that we decided to take as souvenirs. They say, you are not bounty hunters. You do not get to take souvenirs from war. This is unacceptable. So we got a big slap on the wrist for trying to take home some of those yeah. things they did in Three Kings. <laughs> but I do have I do have an Iraqi diary still in my possession with Arabic writing on it. And wow. I don't know exactly what it says, but I will tell you this, and this will show you the age and the difference in times. Flojo, our great American track star, mm-hmm. there is a picture of her in this Iraqi diary that I have. It's a picture of Saddam Hussein. It's a picture of Flojo. And she's got the American flag and they have covered up her legs and they've covered up her face with ink. And it shows you a lot of the way that different parts of the world view women. And we, I hope here in America, we can understand why when we hear about Afghan, Afghan women and some of the fears that they are facing today, I saw it firsthand in, in the Middle East. And I know a lot of our soldiers and Marines that have been over there now see it as well. It's despicable and it makes your blood boil as, as an American, the way that the women are treated in certain parts of the world in 2021. I saw it in 1991. And you know, again, I'm not saying that we have to de- democratize every other country in the world, but human rights are human rights. And mm-hmm. you know, when I see even them coloring in our great athletes because oh my goodness, their legs are showing and their face is showing. And, you know, that's an abomination to them in different parts of the world. It just shows you the way cultures are different. And I am, we have our faults. We're always going to have our faults. I will take this country every day of the week, twice on Sundays. (laughs) And to me, I just won't bicker about little things when I look at the big picture and human rights has got to be the first one on that list. Well said. Absolutely. Well, Dave, um, I appreciate your patience tonight because I, I didn't oh, mention it earlier, but uh, <laughs> some technical no difficulties on my end. But uh, we appreciate your time. Thank you for your service to our country. And uh, exactly, yeah. we'll be uh, we'll be in touch again soon. There's a, it's a long football season ahead of us and uh, lots of excitement here in Chicago. 
Uh, I really enjoyed it, guys. And I would just say this again, please, Bears fans. I really like Justin Fields. I think he's going to be the best quarterback you ever had. Just wait. Just Calm down, people. Just give him time. That's all I ask. All right, Dave. Have a good night, brother. Thanks, y'all. That was fun. All right. Well, that was a fascinating conversation from Dave Ross, uh, not to be confused uh, with our local celebrity. Um, but honestly, it was great having him on, um, enjoyed some of his perspectives, not only on sports, but uh, what's going on around the world and um, just appreciate his perspective as a non-Chicagoan on Chicago sports. Objective uh, perspective, which we don't often get. Objective perspective. I appreciate. Yeah, that's a good one. I like that, Brady. So um, really great listening to him and appreciate him being on. Uh, we have awesome stuff coming up for you guys as far as football goes it is just the beginning even though it's not even the beginning we're talking preseason <laughs> you know what though it's, it will be it's, the real beginning it's always football season <laughs> there's always something to talk about with the nfl anywho uh, <laughs> lots of good stuff coming up this season for the bears hopefully you'll see the uh fans passion that dave was talking about and it'll actually be enjoyable until next time, I'm Kelsey. And I'm Brady. And we'll be back.